You're listening to episode 11 of Elevate Talks. This week, we're bringing you a panel addressing the key skills that will shape the future of the workplace, plus what tools and mindsets we need to advance in the tech industry. The panel is hosted by Sabrina Jeremiah, Country Director of Google Canada, with panelists Janet Bannister, Managing Partner of Real Ventures, Caitlin McGregor, Co-Founder and CEO of Plum, and Young Wu, CEO of Mars Discovery District. You know, I think we've talked a lot about the skills and what is going on right now in Canada. I mean, Janet, um, I mentioned the scale-up kind of conundrum, and how are you seeing that as it relates to skills in Canada? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's great to be here, and thank you so much for your talk. Um, So I think that, so, yeah, so I work with a lot of early-stage technology companies uh, in Toronto as well as the rest of Canada and some internationally, and a lot of... I think one of the biggest factors that's limiting the growth of a lot of these high potential companies is the inability or ability to to attract talent. There definitely is a shortage of talent. Frankly, though, um, I think that the biggest shortage is the talent at the product. I find the product management and sales and sales levels. Um, in terms of engineers, yes, there is a shortage of engineers. We're suffering from you know, brain drain, of course, and we need more engineers. However, I find that the biggest challenge for our fast-growing scale, co- scale companies are actually in those two areas, and specifically, it's for people who have scaled technology companies before and understand how to operate in those functions in a very rapidly growing company and often a company that's not very well known. So, for instance, in enterprise sales, it's very different if you're selling to a bank, as an example, with an unknown brand versus how you've sold with Cisco or IBM, as an example. Um, so I think those are the, are, are the biggest things. And then I think just to build on that, it's partly a result of the age of our ecosystem. Yeah. Right? I, I compare it to Silicon Valley, where I worked for several years. And there, if you want to find people who have scaled companies, there's dozens of executives or hundreds of executives that have worked at small companies and have scaled them. And so I think in Canada, we will get there, but a part of it is just a matter of time because of where we are in our ecosystem development. And so, you know, it sounds like we know what the gap is in that. I mean, Young, how do you think, how do we solve that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point that Janet made. Um, and um, when I think about uh, my own experience building companies and scaling them, it's that you start as an engineer and you start as a product person and everything can be solved with another feature. Mm. And then you get to the stage where suddenly um, you have to start managing people that manage people. Yeah. And the order of complexity goes up exponentially. And at the scale stage, not, suddenly you have to start thinking about um, not just product engineering, but also how do you uh, engineer your corporation? How do you engineer your financial uh, infrastructure? How do you engineer your cap table? How do you drive global pathways to market? It's a completely different set of problems you have to solve for at each stage. And it requires tremendous transformation along the way of the founders and the leadership team. So I think Janet's on to something that's critical for us to actually grow and scale companies here. And have you seen anything that's working to help accelerate this? I mean, like, we can wait and we can catch up with our kind of evolution of the ecosystem, or can we leapfrog? Look, I think it's all about uh, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. And, you know, we got great founders here that, are, that have gone through that process. They're starting to reinvest into the ecosystem now. Um, and it takes that experience. Um, and uh, just from an op- entrepreneurial perspective, I just say that, look, I mean, 
the one lesson is the only thing that's uh, permanent is impermanence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I, I would say, yeah. sorry, I, no, go, go ahead, I, please. Yeah. I, I would say that as much as I said, hey, you know what, like for instance, Silicon Valley definitely benefits from the fact that there is deep bench strength in executives that have scaled companies. When you sort of peel that back and say, okay, yeah, understand we don't have that strength, but at the same time, I think we can still be very optimistic. And I, you know, you look at a company like Shopify, for instance, the vast majority of those executives, right, the founders, the executives, up until fairly recently, they had, none of them had scaled a company to that level. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's an example, oh, you look at Israel and the huge <laughs> growth in startups there, where again, they had to start somewhere. And so, yes, it's handy to have people who have scaled a large company before, absolutely, the ecosystem benefits from it. On the flip side, I do have a lot of optimism because I think that a lot, if you have the raw talent, and I know Caitlin can talk a lot about this, and if you have the right mindset, that you absolutely can learn it. And you know, speaking of Shopify specifically, I remember Toby once saying, I don't look at what somebody knows, I look at what they do when they don't know. And I think that you know, if you've got a team that may be a first-time team, but they recognize that they're a first-time team and they reach out to mentors and they learn from others, then it can be helpful. Then, then you can overcome the fact that you may not have done it before. Yeah, and you've really kind of honed in on like the skill and the innate talent. And I know, Caitlin, you've done a lot of work. I have to write this down. She works with industrial organizational psychologists. Like there's, there's a job that is probably gonna be in high demand, right? And has thousands of, you know, data points and understanding. Can you talk a little bit about what you see there? Yeah, so I think that when we talk about skills, we need to understand that there are three things that contribute to us understanding somebody's capability. Skills, which is often something that they've uh, learned by going to school and things like that. There's knowledge, which is often going through you know, the process of skills and knowledge or education and work experience. And that experience of being able to scale a company means that you know, the trial and error cycle hopefully is a little bit uh, faster and, and you're making less mistakes, that's, that's the theory with it. Um, but the other part is innate talent. So it's the transferable talents. And when we think about how many jobs are disappearing and how many new jobs are being created, we have to really tap into that transferable innate talents that people have. And so these are things like somebody's ability to innovate, work well on teams, manage others. I mean, a lot of the times we forget about you can have a great tech company, but if you don't manage your people effectively, you're not gonna get there. And there are lots of examples of people that are fantastic leaders outside of the tech space. There's fantastic examples of people that you know, may work in a larger corporation, but they're really driven to innovate and they're being stifled in those big organizations. And if we could open up our doors and give them an opportunity to innovate in, a, you know, in more of a tech space, they'll thrive. And so how do we identify the potential that exists in our larger workforce and invite them in and then have that senior talent that can kind of point them in the right direction? And I'll give you an example. So Laura's on my team. She joined the company two years ago. She was an underwriter at an insurance company. She had a hunger for learning, so growth mentality. So she had gone back to school to do library and information technology studies and an MBA. And she really wanted to get into the tech space. And even though she was in her early 30s and so not kind of ready for an entry level job pay anymore, she had the ability to take a step back and kind of start over from the ground up. And so she applied and out of 100 applicants, 
you know, she was maybe in 10% that didn't have customer success experience, but based on her potential, her ability to execute, and her ability to be innovative, and her ability to solve problems, she was in the top 10% of our applicant pool. And so she was hired as a customer success manager. Within a year, realized that the rejection that is involved in being a CSM, not for her, moved her into project management, where she was incredible at managing really complex problems, increased complexity, and now has moved onto the product team. And so she has knowledge of what we've been doing in the company for, last, for the last two years. So to now be a project manager that really understands our business, has been at the front line with our customers, I could not hire a, proj uh, a product manager as great as she is, but there's still a bit of a skills gap, that leadership of somebody that's done it before to increase, you know, to, to speed up that trajectory of learning. There are so many Laura's in our workforce, but when we say, oh, underwriter at an insurance company, yeah. we go, that couldn't be a project, that couldn't be a product manager. So Caitlin, how does Plum enable that? Because I mean, like, you know, you, you stare down thousands of CVs, it's like throwing a dart to find the right Laura. H how does your platform do that? So this is where the industrial organizational psychology comes in. There's several decades of doing psychometric assessments. The limitations have been, it's been a horrible user experience, so candidate or employee experience. It often doesn't scale, so there's been lots of barriers as to why it hasn't become more readily available. What we've done at Plum is created a, a seamless one-time assessment that people can take. It uh, quantifies people's innate talents like persuasion and execution and innovation. And then more importantly, you need to know what are the behaviors needed for the job. We all know about KPIs. We know to hit your targets, you need to have KPIs to grow your business. Well, really it's about quantifying the KBIs, the key behavioral indicators. Mm. What are the behaviors you need somebody to do to be successful? And so it measures the KBIs based on the job experts for every role, it measures the individual and it matches them. And that's when you start revealing potential, people that you would not normally have seen. And you can do it for outside applicants or inside employees. And that data is four times more accurate than educational work experience at predicting on-the-job so success long-term. And we don't, I mean, how many folks in this room do that right now? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing, right? Like it's, like, it's finding the right talent and spotting that talent. And, you know, you're working on the Employment Pathways program that I mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about how that helps understand a little bit more of the underlying nature of skills as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, we, um, uh, if you just read the media and the magazines and the newspapers, you often get the feeling that, hey, you know, 50% of all jobs are going to basically disappear within the next 10 years. Yeah. Nobody likes to talk about the other side of this, that actually when you break it down, it's that skills are being augmented and may need to be um, uh, evolved, not necessarily entire jobs. So when you slice it down, I think you know, the resilience of this whole thing is about identifying pathways where although certain things may get disrupted, there are other things that those skills or those behaviors or those mindsets can actually go forward with. Um, and so I think that's really the, the, the nature of this really interesting experiment we've been doing with Google, Mars and Google, is to map out these pathways. Um, because other than that, you're basically thinking about the world in terms of all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that FUD factor. Um, as opposed to, look, I mean, uh, you know, Caitlin said it best. I mean, beyond your skills, what can you really do to think about life from the point of view of adaptability, uh, flexibility, being able to learn and pivot on the fly um, and, and create your own pathway? How many here are Star, Star Trek fans, by the way? There's a few. Okay, great. So you'll know the, the Kobayashi Maru story, right? 
Um, so, you know, the, the thing is, if you can't, if the game is basically programmed to defeat you right from the beginning, you've got to go and change that game. That's an entrepreneur's mindset. You have a bunch of entrepreneurs on stage here. You have a bunch of entrepreneurs in the audience there. You've got to change that game. There's no such thing as a job for life anymore. And if you don't expect there to be a job for life, then you have to basically take control of your own Kobayashi Maru situation. And I think the EPP or the uh, Plan, Plan X, if you have an iPhone, please do this. Go to myplanext.com. What this thing does is it basically goes and maps a pathway for your career based on things that might be highly subject to disruption and the skills that you can then apply to the next point in your career and the next point and the next point. So what is a truck driver? I just did this right now. What does a truck driver, which is heavily open to disruption, have in common with uh, uh, methane, landfill, gas generation, locomotive engineers, fuel cell technicians, sailors, and uh, locomotive fires. Turns out over a 90% match in the skills that it takes to be a truck driver and these other job categories. Uh, except that fuel cell technicians only have a 52% chance of disruption. So there's a transferability of skills and mindsets that you take from job to job to job, you have to invest into yourself, you have to change your own game, you can't rely on someone else to basically map your own game for you, because you'll lose. Yeah, I think just building on that, I mean, so much comes down to a combination of a rate of learning, a rate of growth, and your own self-awareness in terms of where are your skills, where are your talents, as, as Caitlin talked about. Um, you know, Alan Lau, who's CEO of Wattpad, he talks about how every six, month his, every six months he gets a new job. And so I think regardless of who you are, what you're doing, um, but I think particularly for anybody in a fast growth company, your job is going to dramatically change in six months. And so you need to be able to learn very quickly and spend the time investing in yourself, in your own learning, reaching out to other people, learning from those who you respect, so that you can continue to learn at the rate that you need to learn. So, Janet, you've, you've worked with some of the top entrepreneurs in the country. How would you define the characteristics um, from a skill base or a mindset base that they have in common? Yeah, you know, so I, I've been thinking a lot about yeah. this. You know, I've, I haven't been in this for five years and seen different things. And I recently came up with um, sort of three things that I now watch for. And um, number one is a self-awareness. So self-awareness of what your skills are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Um, number two is transparency. So once you have that awareness, being transparent, being transparent with yourself, being transparent with others in terms of how the business is going, where it's going well, where it's not going well. And then the third thing is a growth mindset yeah. and sort of that ability to always be to always seeking out and self-development and growing. We talk a lot about a growth, growth mindset at Google as well, and yeah, the, the, six, the new job every six months is very familiar to me as yes, well. Yeah. What, 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 how do you define a growth mindset, um, and what does that look like? I think really understanding that in our own society, we have said that, hey, if you go back to do a master's or you go back to do an MBA, you can spend that money, spend $50,000 and go get an MBA, because then you'll get this jump in your career and you'll make more money. A growth mindset is understanding that the way it works now is that you're going to have to take steps back in your career. You may be an expert today in one area, but you have to almost start completely over 
start from the bottom, learn that new uh, opportunity, learn that, those new uh, skills, and then you may end up being not with a higher salary, just in a job that makes you more fulfilled, happier, you know, you're thriving, and that job's going to give you long-term success. And it's just being able to understand that this career ladder is completely outdated and not serving any of us. And we need to think about how we can navigate our careers in more of a career lattice and moving around. And, and instead of this, uh, I guess the image is instead of going up steps, it's like you're taking a step back to take a step potentially parallel or, or a step forward. And we just need to keep understanding that, that work is learning. By changing careers, by changing new things, we're learning by doing these new new opportunities. So if we put ourselves out there and are ready to embrace that we may fail, we may not succeed, but we're going to learn through the process and that investment in ourselves and our own happiness is worth it. And you don't have to just go and pay, you know, to go back to, to school to do a master's or an MBA. You can just make that shift in your career and, and take that risk. And, and Young, you all brought up the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it's the jungle gym of careers. It's the continuous learning. Mm -hmm. How prevalent of a notion is that, do you think, in our workforce today? Um, look, I'm a, uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur all my life, and so I'm at danger of being a hammer that sees everything as a nail. Um, but I think that um, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, but I think the entrepreneurial mindset is something that should really be something that's embraced, whether you work in a big company or a small company or a startup. I don't think there's enough of that that's pervasive in the workforce we have today, but it's coming. And the entrepreneurial mindset is less about the specifics of the skills, whether it's STEM or STEAM. In fact, STEAM's better than STEM as far as I'm concerned. It's really about resilience and adaptability and the ability to be a learning machine at every stage because I'm back to the only thing that's permanent is impermanence. We have this technological you know, revolution happening, which is fantastic for those of us that are in here, but product life cycles and innovation cycles are shrinking yeah. like mad. So think about what that means when you have a company that's built around one product or one intellectual property. That's not going to last. Therefore, the jobs in that company aren't going to stay the same. You have to basically invest into your own ability to learn on the fly, be able to adapt, have that entrepreneurial mindset of being able to, you know, take one step forward, one step back, three steps forward. Um, I think that's the permanence we can look for. Um, and it, it, it doesn't come from saying, look, I'm going to invest into a job for life situation. There are no th such things as jobs for life these days. Yeah, so, I mean, I think um, it's sort of, so I agree with, with, uh, with Young that we're seeing there is no such thing as a job for life. And I, but I actually worry that as that is becoming more true, when I look at the youngest generation, that they're almost being programmed the opposite way. Uh -huh. And frankly, you know, I was lucky enough to graduate from Ivy Business School. And so I go there once a year to speak with them. And these students, like, I feel for them, frankly. They are stressed. And they are like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. How do I get there? You know, I want to be in venture capital. What do I need to do today so that in 20 years I can be in Give VC? Give me a list, right? Give me a list. And I'm yeah. thinking, geez, I ended up with VC. I never even thought I would end up here. And I think, frankly, I look at our younger kids, right, in sports. You take sports. It used to be that kids would play five different sports throughout the year. Now at a very young age, they're like, okay, you are going to do this sport. You're going to be in hockey yeah. or gymnastics or figure skating, and you're going to focus in on that. And it starts with that in the mentality of, like, very driven. And, and I worry that it's actually that 
from, from sort of how we're training our young people is the exact opposite of the way the world is working, where actually, you know, it's not quite a random path. You've yeah. got to have some sort of um, a vision in terms of generally speaking where you want to go, where your skills are, where your interests. But you need to be open to a little bit of, um, you know, movement, as, as Caitlin said. Maybe it's going to be much more horizontal. So the mindset of resiliency as opposed to like a deterministic fashion yes. of doing things is yes. like something we need to agitate a bit more. Yeah. And Caitlin, it sounds like you have some opinions on that too. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think in terms of the readiness, there's two sides of the equation. There's the individual looking for employment and then there's the employer. And unfortunately, I don't think employers have gotten to the point where they're willing to take risks on people yeah. that don't match the perfect pattern. They're still looking for somebody that has already done the job before. Yes. So it's this catch-22 where I'm saying, go out and you know, take, take the risk, but then you're maybe going to be facing a closed door. But there is a way around it. If they're looking for experience in a startup, then take the time outside of work to become you know, part of an organization as an advisor where you're not getting anything in return, you're just learning from the experience. Come out to events where there are tech people. You're all here, so you're already taking, you know, a massive step to be part of this community. And so you can become, you can move from being an outsider who is in a completely different industry and doesn't fit the pattern to slowly making your way in and slowly gaining experience so that eventually when somebody says, oh, well, you've worked at a big corporation, you know, I don't, I don't see the transition, you can say, no, like, I've been involved, I know, I've done these things, I've been part of it. And so if, you know, just like we make the investment to go back to school, make the investment outside of what you're doing right now to start building up kind of that muscle strength and proof that you fit in this new area or that you are going to be successful. You just, it's more work, unfortunately, on the individual to bridge that gap and to show why you fit the pattern, and it's unfortunate that way, but it, it is possible. It just takes time, and I think that's where we need to start realizing it's not going to be a perfect path. Um, we're breaking new ground, and it's two sides of the equations. The employers need to get more open to those transferable skills, and we need to advocate for the fact that you know the one closed door isn't going to stop us. That's what it is to be an entrepreneur. You just keep going until you get the yes and it's possible. And can I just add a third thing to that? I also think it's about employers training the skills. So we hire a lot of people on my team that have zero digital marketing skills. They're accountants, they're lawyers, they're et cetera. And we have a very clear onboarding program that we're constantly investing in, and we open source a lot of it. So you could download Google Primer. We have some new tools coming up that we're actually open sourcing all of the tools that we have to teach our workforce to everybody, basically. And it is, you have to invest in that, and you can see the folks that are actually, then they become managers, then they become managers of managers, and they are, like Laura, some of your best people. But do we, are we doing enough at the company level to train people to, aside from spotting and getting the Lauras, to training them to become the managers of managers? Like, are we doing enough? No, we need to do more, and yeah. it's, it's definitely a piece of the puzzle, and, and sometimes it comes down to, because the companies are doing it the first time, we're not always sure what the right path is, so it comes back to, you know, if we could have a little bit more successful examples of what the right path is, it may be a little bit easier to say this is, this is the for sure thing, but in general, we need to do more of it. It is an area that needs more investment and more time and more prioritization that as much as somebody has a to-do list, taking a percentage of your time to be learning and leveling up and attending 
you know, thought leadership events and things like that, that that is part of the process. But I, I think also it's interesting because we started talking, started talking on this panel about the shortage of, of skilled workers, right? And then we're saying, hey, are the companies doing enough? And I mean, we have a great portfolio company here in Toronto, and what they said is they said, we wanna be the place that is known as the best place to grow your career in Toronto. Yes. And so they're sort of combining it, and they're recognizing that too many companies are not willing to invest in training and developing, particularly startups, and they said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna solve that, and we're also going to have a unique value proposition. And they are getting outstanding talent, and they're doing a fantastic job of improving people and training them to become leaders and, and, into, and promoting from within. It's a competitive advantage. Absolutely. Right? You train your workforce people and they believe it's a learning opportunity they want to come and work. Yeah. You know you. what's really interesting is that um, when I think back to uh, my best um, collaborators on my teams, they, um, they typically didn't start from the pathway that I would have expected. So the, the best people on my team Engineering teams uh, came from philosophy, uh, music composition. Um, they came from the arts, liberal arts. And we got a massive lift. Oh, and they came with work ethics because we over-indexed on hiring from you know, the East Coast, uh, Newfoundland. And uh, those were the things that Caitlin was talking about. They were the ones that gave us massive lifts in terms of the companies that we built. The engineering skills themselves were kind of interesting and great because we had to do what we had to do, but every three years to five years, they changed. Um, so there's really something here about um, can we get the cross-section and, and, and really the, the one plus one equal 11 effect. Yes. Uh, that doesn't come from just sort of skills-based, uh, but much more from, a, I think, a competency and a, and a, and a mindset and behavior base as well. Yeah. You, you have to be trained to think about things from a leadership and an adaptability, a flexibility, and uh, um, uh, they're just not typically things that you would just learn in terms of equations and statistical analysis and regression. And it just that's that's great, yeah. but the other stuff allows you to scale, allows you to scale businesses, organizations, leadership, and whatever else too. So maybe we can close and we can just do a rapid, just one each. Hmm. How about what is one skill that everyone in this, you know, one kind of trait or behavior everyone in this room could think about for the future, and one thing for Canada? So we can kind of dual track that. You want to start, Jan? Oh, um, again, uh, I think uh, an entrepreneurial mindset, whether you are an entrepreneur or you are not an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. I think there's a mindset and a behavior and a worldview that comes with that. So embrace. Embrace the journey, you know, embrace the nutty journey that you're on and uh, invest into yourself. Don't expect someone else to do it for you, I think. That builds into sort of my suggestion for Canada as well. We do have right now a really good moment in time for Canada uh, where uh, this is the place, this is the destination for, um, I think, uh, we got transformational talent plus transformational technology uh, and it's coming with an ecosystem that's finally getting to scale. Um, we have to do what we continue to do, which is to attract that talent, invest into it, and then we have to convert on that because talent is great, but it has to build global made in Canada com companies for us to get sustainable value out of this. Here, here. Right. Caitlin. <clears throat> so I just came from a two-day workshop 
um, on Dare to Lead. Janet had given me the book um, when they invested in us, and uh, so then I found out that there was a Dare to Lead workshop uh, in our community, and so I took my entire leadership team for the last two days, and it was really learning about you know, our idea in the past, and, and this is another thing from, from Real Ventures, uh, keynote speaker they had, but we used to think that you know, business isn't personal, it's just business. Yeah. But business is actually one of the most human experiences. We spend most of our time at work, and we really need to be bringing our whole selves. And there aren't a lot of examples that exist right now of really fostering how to lead from a place where we're acknowledging the person and really understanding how to, how to harness that potential first and foremost. It's really fascinating. If you go to any company and you say, is accountability important? They'll say yes. If you say, is a strategic plan important? They'll say yes. But you can't actually have an efficient organization unless you have trust and you know how to have difficult conversations because things are changing so rapidly, how are you gonna get through them together? Yeah. And so that foundational work about understanding how to really build trust amongst individuals and have difficult, constructive conversations is, is a foundational piece. So Benet Brown, she's got a Netflix um, show you can watch and then she's got Dare to Lead. I think it's a great foundation and it will help us as leaders and as individuals start focusing on that groundwork shift on how we think about business that'll support this transformation. People lead people. Yeah. Um, so I would say in terms of answering the two questions, I think um, agree with everything that's been said. I guess I would add, I think the most important skill is this growth mindset and always be learning, always be self-improving, but then you need to pair that with the self-awareness because unless you're aware of where you are strong, where you are weak, it's very difficult to grow. I think in terms of your question for Canada, um, if I sort of had a magic wand and could do something, I would love to see way more co-op programs for universities. Um, we are well aware of the amazing entrepreneurs that are coming out of Waterloo. Part of it is because of the education, amazing edu like academics, but a large part is because they're getting these co-op terms. And I think that if we could have a lot more of our universities having co-op programs, it would both enable us to have better workers in the work field and enable people to get into careers that they really are passionate and that's a great fit for them because they will have had a chance to sample a bunch of different things. Yeah, I wouldn't be here without the co-op program at Laurier. Yeah. I worked at Microsoft when I was there and it was like it helped me understand tech. Yeah. So I'm just gonna close with my two answers to that and thank the panelists. Um, for me, I think the individual thing is to bridge the left brain and the right brain. I think this whole period we've talked a lot about left brain and about you know concrete skills and math and all of those things. I think a lot of the future is about conceptual thinking, leading in complexity, relationships with other people. And when you can bridge those two, you are the unicorn. Um, so you know sometimes we often kind of over-index on the left at the moment and we don't think about the diversity and skill set of our teams that bridges both. I think for Canada, for me, every company needs to lead in training the workforce. This isn't just uh, you know, universities. I'm very passionate about this. I'll make sure that you know, everything that we do is open sourced at Google for you to all learn as quickly as we do in the same fashion that we do and take it so that you can all have amazing careers. I mean, it is exciting. I know it sounds a bit daunting, but it is super exciting to be always learning and it's super exciting to see these tools and be able to understand how you can put together to master amazing solutions for the communities and the countries that we live in. So I hope that you're all gonna join us on this journey. Thank you so much. I thought that was an amazing conversation and enjoy the rest of your day.
Thanks for listening to episode 11 of the Elevate Talks podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play so that you can catch a new episode every Monday. And if you like what you've heard, leave us a five-star review. We're so appreciative of the people who take the time to let us know what they think. To find out more about Elevate, visit elevate.ca and make sure you pre-register for this year's festival from September 21st to 24th to see some amazing speakers in person and join the party in Toronto.